You can literally heal a, a cut with super glue. Seriously, I've had a cut on my leg in camping in my Boy Scout years, and mm. I didn't have any butterfly bandages, so I wasn't prepared like a good Boy Scout. <laughs> but I did have Eagle su- Scout Luke Taylor. So, so I, but I did have super. <laughs> How glue. to heal a cut with and super glue? You, no, you can actually do that. Can you? Yeah, wow. it's mm. not just in movies. So it's not just a superhero ability, huh? No. <laughs> That's well. I, I guess I've never had to try that, but well, it's good to now know. You know, it's good to know. The moral of the story: the podcast where a writer, a philosopher, and a filmmaker explore the stories that make us and the morality that makes the story. So we've been debating whether the replicants in Blade Runner twenty forty nine are actual humans manufactured or are clones of some sort or are robotic just genetically engineered robots so to me it's kind of unclear because there's obviously some kind of a capability that the replicants have to receive digital information that a human could not just right he was reading dna code right so raw and maybe (laughs) that was actually like a big answer bad a moment it's like Send me the raw data. <laughs> Wait, what was that? Like when he's trying to find the records of of the children that were missing, you know, and he says there are eight million four hundred and thirty nine records, and he says, but the archive crystal thing a majig is broken. It's like <laughs> then he's like, send me the raw data, me the and, raw like, data. and I'm going to pull down my steampunk visor and yes. watch the DNA cards go by Oh, I read yeah. eight, you know, however many million characters at well, once. Well, they were definitely you know? enhanced, was, but I think biologically they were human. But that's uh, they're, they are really the synthesis of nano-engineering, yeah. human, like genetically engineered yeah, technology and because, like, their, roboticism. Because even their fists, like when they're punching things, they're punching metal. Now, Granted, breaking through walls. You I know, mean, Bane so was breaking through stone in Dark Knight Rises, and he's supposed to be human. So I don't know yeah, where yeah, you yeah. draw the line. But he had fantasy films. He had Super something, yeah, yeah, he had something going on. Yeah, but that is the subject of today's episode. What does it mean to be human in Blade Runner twenty forty nine, or here in the real world? Right. Because these are some questions that are actually coming up in the real world. Bioethics is a huge new topic of yeah ethics study of philosophy and you know specifically what does it mean to be i mean I, I, to me it was the poignant moment in blade runner 2049 when he says i've never killed something that was born before yeah hmm. you know because a blade runner is walking around you know going through the world assassinating these uh, retired or uh, soon to be retired replicants who are you know being gone rogue. taken out of of yeah. circulation you know so they're murdering these manufactured humanoid creatures. And then, so that's like one of the moral questions of the story is if you just kill this, if your computer talks to you enough that you have an emotional connection to it, which that is kind of creepy (laughs) on its own, and you take a bat to it, did you kill your computer? (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, that's that's part of it. Like, can we manufacture a soul? That's really... The core question of this well, story. Well, and, and right. one of the characters in the film kind of an- answers the question in one direction because Ryan Gosling's character has a lover that is an artificial intelligence mm. named Joy. And when he comes home to Joy, she basically is the perfect. I don't know, like if it was housewife, 1950, she would be a housewife. Yeah. But because it's you know 2019 or 2049, and this 
She's like a millennial girlfriend housewife. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is. Just it's, as docile, but kind of updated. <laughs> yeah. But it's, but it is, it is kind of creepy, you know, and, and. But, it, but, but the point being that yeah. at, toward the end of the movie, Joy, throughout the movie, Joy makes a lot of claims that she is human, that she does feel things for Ryan Gosling, that right. their relationship mm-hmm. is real. And at the end, there's a, a scene that basically reveals that she is the same, do it saying the same thing to every guy who has a relationship with her. Right. Well, she's actually a product. Right. She's a product yeah. that looks the same, even, right, in all of her iterations around. Yeah. Is what uh, they, so they she's basically, a product. It, Wallace, is that what it's called? Wallace Wallace. Tech yeah, Wallace. Yeah. Wallace is the, is the, tech the company, big. Yeah trillion dollar tech industry that creates these AI programs that you can have relationships with and mm-hmm. the woman is called Joy. And yeah, so even though he has this very intimate relationship with this c- computer program and he thinks he's actually developing something real, it's kind of like Ben said revealed at the end that that's just her programming and she does that for everybody buys her. Right, yeah, right. right. And it's and it's to me particularly eerie because it's just a imagined better technology of what people are doing now. Right. I mean, right. I, I saw some dude who was who had his sex doll. This episode is not for children. <laughs> we should say at this point, um, but it is it is a huge issue right now that there yeah. are there's a whole industry being born of of you know of personal play things that are going to. Emulate in in every physical and and you know soon robotically realized aspect yeah aspects of humanity right of of relationship of emotivism of of all of that and then you have to say well what is what is the bound of I mean obviously the bound of human morality yeah right. um. And well, and, and the deeper problem, which is that why are these things being created? Well, it's the epidemic of loneliness. It's mm-hmm. the sociologically study after study. Mm-hmm. I mean, our generation is one of the loneliest generations ever. Mm-hmm. And part of it is demography, you know, families that break apart, or you have things like sperm donors. Um, I, I was listening to a podcast the other day and and a woman who does research in this was saying that there was i don't know one example uh, i think called project anonymous and it was mm-hmm. you know like a thousand people who mm-hmm. share some kind of genetic you know father or mother or something and and, right. and they don't know who they are you right know, it's, well and it's the pro- their isolated. promise of anonymity is now being reneged Oh, really? Like, basically, I, I read that they're now saying, sorry, there's no such thing as true anonymity. There's there's a right to know in some way. Right. You know, of where yeah. your origin is. Because, wow. you know, you, you think about this is a deeply human drive. And I, I saw, I thought once I was watching, I was in an airport, and I saw a little child run through the airport to their parent. You know, and I thought there is a magnetic pull in the heart of every human to go back to the their point of origin. Right. Right. And mm-hmm. that's what a healthy family relationship has. And it's one of the major holes in someone who doesn't know, right? Or the an orphan that wants to find out who their real parents are. Like where I come from is 
one of the most fundamental questions. And it's the question that it, that Ryan Gosling actually has to wrestle with in this film. Right. And mm-hmm. saying, he, I think that I'm someone with no father, no mother, but what if I did have one? What if what I thought I was is not true? And mm-hmm. what if I'm, what if I actually have a soul? Right. Right. And that's kind of the setup for his meeting with Harrison Ford, who mm-hmm. returns in his role from yeah. the previous film. Well, just real quick for those, because we were actually talking previously, you know, this wasn't a massive blockbuster success like, mm-hmm. you know, Endgame was. It's funny because it's a legendary yeah, franchise. Exactly. But. So just a little context, Ryan Gosling's character is at the very beginning pretty much you're told that he's a replicant. So he's a a replicant cop Blade Runner that's essentially hunting down his own kind Mm -hmm. and retiring them. But as the film progresses, there's seeds that are started to be planted that maybe he's not a replicant, maybe, or, or no... I guess Seeds are planted after you see the flower that grew under exactly. the dead tree. <laughs> so there are questions start to Lots be posed that maybe he's not actually who he's been told he was. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the... And this is a reversal of the original because exactly. Harrison Ford played the Blade Runner in the first film. And he right. was also hunting replicants, but mm-hmm. he was supposedly a human. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there was a suspicion that maybe he was a robot too. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's a reversal and so you know there's a there's a a question posed in the in the film that you know so let's kind of break it down here so what does it mean to be human well it's probably not necessarily memories because in the Mm -hmm. the film it's it's posed that all these replicants have memories that have been pre-installed into their brain right so they have these memories of being a child and having a birthday cake and Mm -hmm. you know all these things but they're not necessarily they're real and you know, I'm, I have no idea if this is actually technology that can be achieved today, but, you know, let's talk about that for a minute. Is <laughs> Ask the army. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I asked you guys like you thought you would know. <laughs> well, actually, I did. No. Actually. Um, well, I mean, no, it is. It's not far off of what people claim is is possible, yeah. you know, in the, in the sense, I don't know that they really have a language in which to decode it, but they would yeah. probably say that in like the cutting edge of like neural technology, yeah. they can, I mean, they, I know they have like ways for brains to directly manipulate through electrodes and various things like that. And they can train yeah. the technology to read the impulses of a brain. So, I mean, that's, I mean, in reality, light years from what they yeah. show in the movie, but it's and not. I, and I guess if you were it's to not reverse qualitatively that, would that be called possible. Inception? <laughs> that's for another episode. Stay tuned for the next yeah. podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, no, I mean, so I mean, that's a that is a big question, and and so I'm going to back this up. So the field, this is interesting. The field of artificial intelligence, which is at the core of the replicate yeah. replicant question, it's kind of the beginning, right? Because if an artificial intelligence, if Hal from 2001 feels and talks and passes the Turing test of an intelligence housed in whatever form, then does that does it have rights? Does it have uh, currency yeah. as a being of some sort that has to be dealt with? And that in some ways extends to their power, right? And that's where the replicants, they have significant personal power because of their super strength and the other things they were engineered to have. And so that's essentially dealing with that is where a lot of the dynamism of Blade Runner comes from. But 
in the 80s, uh, one of the pioneers of artificial intelligence was a guy named Marvin Minsky. And he was a brainiac at uh, MIT who wrote a lot of the early, he wrote a book and other things that were kind of some of the early academic work on artificial intelligence. And his whole theory was something called the society of mind. And that was basically that the mind is an illusion that is built up from tiny building blocks of uh, drives or, or passions or behaviors. Um, and then you add them all together, they create a mirage that seems to be intelligence. And that was his theory of humanity. He didn't believe in a soul at all. Like he right. didn't believe that souls existed. So he was probably an atheist. And you can kind of see and this actually. Yes, yes, he was an atheist. And actually, I had a, I had a voice teacher in high school who knew Marvin Minsky at one wow. time. Uh, at MIT anyway. And well, and, said, and this viewpoint yeah. lives on like with Sam Harris or mm-hmm. others that kind of it, at least play with this viewpoint right. as being possible right. that maybe there is no such thing as the soul. or And they'll take even like spiritual ideas and then reverse engineer them to be like apparitions of our own brain, essentially. Like they yeah. won't deny spiritual experience, but it's <laughs> it's like my... My favorite dumbest line ever from Avatar is, um, "It's like it's like spirit, but we can measure it with science." Like their little <laughs> their little neural ne- tail network, you oh, know, yeah, their yeah, thing. Yeah. Anyway, but that's sort of what we're what we're dealing with. So these replicants have the appearance in every way of humanity. Yeah, but they cannot bear a child. Right, right, and they and, are, that, and that is the big crux of the film, and that's like the, what plot. Have you ever heard the Ship of Theseus paradox? Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is kind of in this vein. So the the Ship of Theseus, I think I'm remembering that correctly, mm-hmm. is stated as this: if you have a ship, and it's a beautiful ship, finest wood, and one day you have to replace the mast, and so you replace the mast. Oh. It's great, looks good, but then you know mm-hmm. another day you have to replace another piece, mm-hmm. and another mm-hmm. piece, and another piece, and another piece, until one day, mm-hmm. not a single piece of wood from the original ship remains. Yeah, but you saved all those pieces, and then you went and built another ship. So is the ship that you then built with the original wood that ship, or is the other ship mm. the original ship? <laughs> <laughs> My answer to that that riddle is. Which ship is Theseus still the captain of? Well, I think it's Theseus's <laughs> ship because he thought of the paradox. Yeah, probably, but, probably. Well, um, no, and that's kind of there's a there's a formal philosophical argument for uh, like the indivisibility of the soul or something that that starts. It's like you can cut your arm off and you're still you. You can you know you can you, you can take away all these parts of your well, body. If, if you really want to still... get into that, that's like Aristotle's accidents versus substance. Uh-huh. Like Aristotle's theory was, and still widely believed, I think, in philosophical circles, that you know the substance is some kind of core essence of each person, but it doesn't uh, it doesn't uh, consist of accidents. So like. The color of your hair is an accident. The type of skin you have is an accident. Mm. Like, actually, everything that is measurable by science is what Aristotle would term an accident. But anyway, it's an interesting thought. But. Yeah. Well, and and it goes to, you know, circling back to, like, what is it that makes a human a human? Mm-hmm. Or what is it? what is it about personhood? 
And when does someone become a, a person? You know, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to go way out. Do you guys know what Edgar, who Edgar Casey was? Oh, this is I know this I has gotten odd on a limb. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna dive into the Twilight Zone for a minute. But Edgar Casey was probably the most famous clairvoyant of for, certainly of the 20th century. I would say. I mean, like very very widely widely known. And really, I think through the I don't know when he started, but through the 60s and 70s was kind of his main main time period. And he is on record. His institute, the institute, his Edgar Edgar Casey Institute still exists. Um, and I'm not making an endorsement of or a uh, argument for or against yeah, him in any way. I'm not. I'm not <laughs> going there. But Sorry. it is. It is a really startling event yeah. to try to reckon with. And that Edgar Casey on thousands and thousands of sessions, he would fall asleep, and in a trance, people would read him the address and maybe the first name of. A person, and he remotely diagnosed thousands of illnesses and prescribed treatments. And there are thousands of cases of cured diseases because of his sessions that he did. Okay, and now it is it is wild. It's it's really really bizarre, and um, you know, and he said, and the story that I've I've heard, like even when he was a child, that he realized he could that he just had mind kind of abilities when he was a child because he I think at one point he was like doing homework and he he fell asleep on his math book and he woke up and he knew all the contents of the book hmm. and so he just realized he had this sort of ability to Man, learn. Man I wish learn. I had that power. I, I was like really I nice. wish I could fall asleep on when my I homework. I college and- <laughs> could have fallen asleep on Hamlet. I'm going to fall asleep on the works of Plato. Um no, but so anyway, that was one of the origin, his origin story, I guess. Um, but make an Edgar Casey movie. The one book he doesn't fall asleep on is the Bible. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. I know, I know. Well, there, I think there are potentially a lot of other answers for why Edgar Casey happened. But one of his, he is famous for uh, visions of Atlantis, and Atlantis was one of his big things. He. He claimed to have been like a high priest or something, which I think could have something to do with like demonic influence anyway. I'm not going to go into that. But one of the main things he said was in the world before the flood was a slave race of clones. Hmm. And that there was a whole subclass. Blade Runner 2049 BC. (laughs) (laughs) Stone Runner. Bronze runner, <laughs> the bronze yeah, runner. Yeah, but it, but it, but it. I think it's an interesting thing to look at because essentially these clones were treated as soulless people in what he what he reported, and they were a slave class that was just and and that the the um. It sounds like he just fell asleep on Blade Runner. He might have. <laughs> <laughs> he got Philip K. Dick's. Uh, yep. <laughs> I don't know if Dick was around writing at the same. I don't know. I have to look that up. But um, basically, and Casey's thing was like basically the mistreatment of these clones and the the misuse of them was one of the things that brought about the the cataclysm. Well, yeah, and the, that the is an interesting question. And actually, Blade Runner deals with this a lot as a series. Is just the the violence that humans visit on the replicants mm-hmm. yeah and the violence that replicants are supposed to visit on everybody else yeah mm-hmm. and like for instance uh, Dave Batista the opening mm-hmm. uh, replicant that Ryan Gosling hunts down and kills you mm-hmm. know he's 
living this pacifist life close to the earth. He's gone away from violence, and he's only forced to it because Ryan Gosling's coming to kill him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, to me, there's an interesting thread through the story that plays into this question of what it means to be human, which is the connection between sexuality and violence. Mm-hmm. So all through the movie, you have these very lonely individuals that are looking for connection, whether it's you know the replicant with the artificial intelligence girlfriend, and then you have the prostitute figure who's... Um, you know, lonely, and and then you have the other replicant girl, the villain, the assassin named Love, ironically, who can I, can is, I, and, and I just want to say, it. the actress who played the villain. She did a great job. She did an yeah. incredible <laughs> job. Because there are a few actors that at the end of the movie, you just want to see dead so bad, and yeah. she's one of them. But part of her character arc is that at the beginning, they hint that Ryan Gosling and her are attracted to each other or that there's some kind of like uncertain relationship there. And, and that plays into the theme of the film, which is at the plot device. What if a replicant woman could give birth to a child, mm-hmm. which is supposed to be impossible. And Wallace, who's the new inventor savant who's blind and creepy and lives near a body of water that illuminates a ceiling or something. It's um, beautiful, man. Stop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure they just did that just so they could have cool lighting effects. Right, exactly. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he is seeking for a child who is the first replicant human hybrid child mm-hmm. that could potentially show that replicants really are human. Mm-hmm. And this is who Ryan Gosling thinks he might be through much mm-hmm. of the film. Um, and what's, I think, fascinating about that plot device is sort of the different threads it brings together. One is that sexuality, human sexuality, is intimately wrapped up with procreation. Mm -hmm. Contra our contraceptive culture, Mm -hmm. which sees sexuality as purely a pleasurable experience Mm -hmm. or some kind of emotional connection Mm -hmm. that you have with one person now and another person later. Mm -hmm. It actually is this total gift of self that brings forth another human life that is totally unique. And, and, And when you deny that, when you deny them that, as the replicants are denied that experience, they turn to violence. And so the, the body mm-hmm. is in this weird dilemma where it, you're either channeling your energies in this constructive way toward a new generation, or you're turning it back on yourself in this dead end mm-hmm. that inevitably blends in with a kind of self-hatred and a mutilation of the body. Mm. There's an interesting poeticism in the film about how food is compromised. You know, hmm. like in the film, there are no more animals on Earth. Earth is a waste and it's just like San Diego's a, a junkyard and LA's become this giant, you know, giant metropolis. I mean, it's already a giant metropolis, but it's just... Futuristic. If, if you lived in LA and you thought LA was going to become that, do you think you'd stay there? <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. But there are no animals, right? There's no food like we know food. And so food is either manufactured by these machines, uh, but they essentially just far- they farm these protein worms. You know, there and it's and so it, I think it's interesting that the fruitfulness of food and the beauty of food in the vision of the film 
has died, as has the ability for people to actually make real meaningful connections and and the procreative capacity mm. of people has been lost. Um, and it's not 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 lost in the sense of like children of men, you know, which in a sense shares this same vision of saying, what if in the future no one could bear children? Mm-hmm. Because we lose the fact that that our ability to procreate is the greatest gift humanity has been given. It's the greatest power we have. It yeah. is. It's when it is actually the moment, the moment of con- of conception, when we conceive of knowing is when we touch divinity. Mm-hmm. Like that's when yeah. the divine actually intersects our real world. And when we take away the fact you you just become this uh, a pleasure-seeking person, that's when you get the world we have now, which is, oh, you know what? Uh, my last four wives were really a pain in the neck and they took half my money four times and I think we're just going to buy a robot now. <laughs> but, you know, it's happening. There was a guy on, I think, the Today Show talking about, with his wife on the Today Show, talking about his robot partner. <laughs> wow. It's like, you think, are is it possible to be this screwed up? Man, yeah. And and that is, and that is something, and, and honestly, it's one of the things about the Blade Runner film that I had a bit of a problem with because of their vision, to me, at the end of it, the message of the film was that, yeah, your perception of emotion, of connection, makes it real. So because there was risk that he'd lose Joy, his his uh, virtual assistant. When she gets stepped on, it's like, I love you. Well, what does that even mean? It's Well, it's kind of like in Castaway when Tom Hanks, remember his volleyball? His volleyball, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, well, what does Wilson! he call it? Wilson! Yeah. You know, I think it's interesting. I don't think that, you know, I think that movie was super well thought out, and I don't think it's mm-hmm. a coincidence that you have this character named Joy, Mm-hmm. And you have this character named Love. Right. And it's... Love kills joy. Well, not only that, <laughs> but it's the two things that him as a, a replicant can't have. Right, right. He's always mm-hmm. wanting this joy character, mm-hmm. which is, you know, symbolic of, I think, joy. But in the end, both of them are, you know, killed. Then what uh, do you make of Love being the ruthless, crushing, evil woman? Well, I think it's, you know, I, I, I again, Love is... You can get hurt by love, but but she wasn't love. Were they both named ironically though? You know, in a real sense, you there is a deep irony in both Joy's name and that is she her his joy. Yeah, is love love is obviously not. Yeah, you know, and then although she loves maybe Wallace. Yeah, you know, in maybe that's way. in in part of the well, drive. And, but and I and I don't know if this is a valid reading of the film, but when I saw it, I remember thinking that I don't think Villeneuve really concluded his story. He just posed these questions. Because even at the end when when Joy is killed by love and that's just literally the very real replicant woman mm-hmm. love crushing the little data disc hologram mm-hmm. that is Joy, the AI girlfriend. Um, the, it's uh, it, it's a dark moment, and you're supposed to feel you know sorry for Ryan Gosling's character. But also, there's a reality that love. It really and Ryan touched Gosling, you, though, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I Ryan cried. Gosling's character and Love were two replicants who were kind of in the same boat. Yeah. And mm-hmm. yet they both chose different paths that both were sort of dead ends. Like Ryan Gosling mm-hmm. chose a path that was like self-discovery and he wasn't who he thought he was yeah. in more ways than one. And Love tried to be as obedient to her evil masters as possible. Mm-hmm. And that didn't bring her you know, happiness at all. So in a way, I felt like those two characters, you were maybe meant to read them as being a possibility of what happened in the first film, right? Which was Harrison Ford actually did fall yeah. in love with the girl. And that's echoed and even in the- Ryan Gosling even the physical, could have fallen in love with love. Even the yeah. appearance- And love act, could have loved Ryan Gosling. Even the appearance yeah, of very love, similar. her hairdo, everything was, it had to be intentionally yeah. designed to echo- Rachel from the first movie. Right. Right. Yeah. That and, was so, a, and so in that sense, so that reinforces the point I was making mm-hmm. earlier, which is that I really think the film is about the lost opportunity to build a family. Mm-hmm. That That's what it's about. It's right. about Ryan Gosling could have built a family, but he instead he fell in love with this AI. Mm-hmm. And the woman could have gotten mm-hmm. with him, but instead she was this brutal enforcer who became the villain. Mm-hmm. And... Well, and and I would say, and, but Gosling finds his meaning when he decides that. Well, and you and earlier we were talking about the moment when because Joy is this product, right? She's a holographic product, like that pop star in Japan is now. I forget who what her name is, right? That There's is a, so creepy. I know Every it's kind of creepy. I, see those <laughs> I know. I can't believe it. But but that's you, essentially what she is. Now there's a priest in Japan, a robot priest, Buddhist priest. Really? And there's just you, there's this little arena, and people go in and they sit, and there's a stage, and there's the robot, and he says all of these Buddhist motifs. Wow. In a woman's voice. Whoa. Interesting. That is so weird. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of yeah. like that. Yeah. Joy is a a she's like a brand. I yeah. mean, it's, it'd be like, oh, yeah. it, it literally is like Siri and Siri is your girlfriend Joy and your Apple. home assistant and like millions of people have one, Yeah, you know, and they're identical. But so he like walks past her in a, in a ad display and she talks to him and says, oh, you, you know, and she said, give something. I forget what it is, but it's meaningful in the moment. And then he goes off, but he realizes he has this kind of aha moment when he realizes the only way to be have a meaningful life is to die for something meaningful yeah mm-hmm. right that's that is the only way he can give himself mm-hmm. as to something mm-hmm. yeah is to die for it yeah yeah and in a sense that is what we have to do i mean that is yeah. where like the message of the film actually does carry some weight in that you know it's jesus saying unless a grain of seed or a grain of seed seed falls to the ground and dies it remains in itself, but if it does, then it grows and new life comes, right? And that's right. what the reuniting of Harrison Ford's character with the long-lost miracle child yeah. really became, you know, and that well, drive and, and for And even him. you look at who the daughter was, yeah. you know, the, the miracle child, when you encounter her, you know, she is this virginal, mm-hmm. protected, sensitive beautiful woman who's Mm -hmm. an artist and her archetype is kind of a symbol of what has been lost Mm -hmm. right which is purity 
innocence. Uh, holiness. Yeah. Holiness. Separated yeah. from and the world. Kind of separated yeah. from the world, almost a monastic existence mm-hmm. where right. beauty is the the pursuit. Mm-hmm. Um, and and even you know she is filling the world with beauties through the memories that she creates for the replicants, which right. is another plot point. Mm-hmm. But so the film really is a fascinating symbolic mm-hmm. tapestry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of sorts, definitely. Yeah, well, and even and and you got to give Villeneuve credit for the visual mastery of the piece of yeah, filmmaking. It really I mean, is, it beautiful. truly is, and it's interesting because you don't often see movies that take. I would say has a very like graphic novel inspired yeah. visualization mm-hmm. with the kind of weight that right. this film has. Right. You know, it really does, and um, it, it it matches very well in that it does, yeah. visually I found myself being just as invested as one in what I was seeing as what I was mm-hmm. experiencing through the story which is yeah. pretty yeah. big yeah um, cuz usually mm-hmm. you know sometimes it's one or the other mhm yeah the film is rated R for a reason it's not for kids yeah, don't, but don't it's the, not a family it, it's, film it's a morality but. question that it, kind of in a real world question that I would mm-hmm. I think is kind of interesting mm-hmm. that is totally separate than what we're talking about here but yeah nudity right which there is some in the film but I, i'm curious to hear y'all's thoughts and we kind of touched on this you know the other day mm-hmm. um but the nudity in this film is strictly not in a sexual sense at right all. right and so i'm curious to hear if what your what your thoughts on on nudity in film mm-hmm. in kind of because it's different than you know like i said they are they're not sex scenes they're Right. One's really what I would describe as a birth scene, but not in what y'all are thinking. It's, if that aroused it's a, you, you'd, yeah, you'd be you're, kind of you're, you're freaky <laughs> because well, it's more when like I watched the, that, it was just icky. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's like when one of the replicants gets like oozed born, out of yeah. their their. Uh, so like, I, I'd, I'd be curious to hear what your thoughts born, are. It's almost more like the Matrix. I think it was a scene in the yeah, Matrix. Yeah. Neo comes out of his egg sac. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's that is an interesting question. I. I think a lot of it, I think there are a few different things you can ask or determine. One is, you know, what is the intention of the director? Yeah. What is the intention of the camera? Like mm-hmm. I've, I read a description once uh, recently of a film and they were saying, you know, the camera doesn't leer at the Linger. women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I thought that's interesting that a camera could leer, mm-hmm. but it's true. Like, yeah. I mean, we all know what that means. Mm-hmm. So I think that there can be a sexualization yeah. through the camera yeah. by, mm-hmm. the, by the camera person. Definitely. Um, there can also just be a sexualization because of what is being seen. Like the director maybe doesn't intend it to be, but yeah. mm-hmm. just by nature of what is being depicted yeah. or what the actor or mm-hmm. actress is doing. Um, but on the other hand, I think that there is just a, an interesting line there. I remember there was one film that I saw years and years ago that was, you know, like a homeschool friendly romance film. Yeah. And there was just a very minor uh, incident where the girl kind of made a move on the guy. And I remember watching that. That was far more suggestive yeah. than even though there was no nudity, it was just a scene. Right. And nothing even happened in the scene, but it was just a suggestion. Um, versus you've, I've, there's been other films where, you know, there will be nudity, but the way that it's presented is almost more in a clinical Right, kind of, you know, mm-hmm. the way a doctor has to think about the human body. Right. So I think that there's, I don't know, just a balance of interpretation mm-hmm. that you have to follow. I do think that in general, 
nudity is one of the things that, for me personally, I put a very strong like yeah ban on nudity. Ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the time, it has to be a really really unique yeah mm-hmm. circumstance where I would you know watch something that mm-hmm. has right. a lot of that in it. Yeah, or, I had not seen this movie. Um, until we were going to do this episode because I was sort of like, eh, I don't know what's in it. And I, you know, and I, and really it, on the whole, there was a little bit of language and did have, but I mean, it, it just sort of depends on your, on your, your, uh, how Personal you, how you feel, I guess. Yeah. Cause it's like, well, it's like a holographic advertisement or something, you know, so it's like a computer generated thing and yeah, one. Think, so yeah. most of the time it's like, it's not, at least for me, I don't, I didn't find it. It was somewhat like, removed from yeah. Well, and, reality. Yeah, and, and and honestly, like when I was maybe eighteen and you know a, a, a hormone ridden teenager, <laughs> it might have been worse. Like, yeah. but I'm a married yeah. man with four kids, and I like honestly, it's like, well, okay, it, it, yeah. uh, it has. I think no, it, it. I think what was in this movie had no right. I had no problem with it yeah. just because of where I am. But I, I don't know that everybody would. And basically right, yeah. to touch on what both of you yeah. said, I think, yeah, I think the two big points in that is one kind of, and I, it, you might think it is not possible to discern this, but I definitely would argue that it is, is what is the intent of the creators? Mm-hmm. Like clearly how is Well, it and they had portrayed? opportunity. I mean, exactly. there was an opportunity exactly. for a very, what would have been a very yeah, un- inappropriate scene, scene. And it was it had nothing exactly like they totally like next yeah. morning so they were which they to were, me speaks of Villeneuve's intent yeah the fact yeah. that that was not exactly. a major exactly because well, I was worried I was worried in, when that the, comes up because there's this one scene where his AI assistant and on a storyline level they think oh this is horrific you know even saying it like they there was a prostitute brought in and there is she like syncs up with this ai which, which visually is one of the most trippy things the I've way ever they watched. made them like synchronize it was yeah it was so the visual crazy. effects team i don't know what they did in this film slow but they, they didn't. just slow clap <laughs> yeah it was it was really well done but they didn't show anything really inappropriate in that scene yeah mm. like they just it just cuts and you and that was i appreciated that and that's what i think what we mean by villeneuve's intent yeah what didn't seem to just titillate you and no. you know like right. it he's was not, not that was not, not what it was about no. um but there are filmmakers that that is what it's about exactly. and that's honestly yeah. and honestly it's just one of the things like the whole me too movement mm-hmm. that i was just blown and honestly you shouldn't be too surprised really but hearing harvey weinstein yeah mm-hmm. like hearing all the stuff about him and you wonder, like, man, why are why are all these things in these movies? Well, it's because the yeah, the fat cat garbage. who's absolutely out of his mind, perverted, is yeah. the one forcing making them, them yeah. to do these things on film, right? And and other places, you know, and and that makes me so angry, yeah, yeah, because he is absolutely it's the biggest power abuse. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. You know, yeah. on every level, human, real life, and in the virtual life, in the life of the art. And and this is my only beef as a creator, and 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 this is maybe for our wrap up, and and generally the whole vision of something like Blade Runner. You know, it asks, it's a it's a useful sort of exploration of certain questions. You know, but the vision of it, you know, I think is is not what I would want to what I would want to portray. I think in the world, but um, fo- you know, spend your time thinking about things that are good and noble and upright and pure and. Um, mm-hmm. All of those, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know if Blade Runner really passes that test, but but it does it does bring us to terms in a very stark and artistically powerful way, questions and a 
right upon us reality in the real world. Mm-hmm. And that is the death of the family, mm-hmm. um, the potential of uh, cataclysmic technological uh, confusion, confusion and, and abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that we must remain connected to the core of our human heart, which is the baby. Yeah. It's the child. And, and living, living yeah. for others, literally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So let's do our, what's our takeaways? Yeah. Uh, who, want, who wants to go first? Moral of the story. Ben? Oh, gosh. I, you know, the thing I take away from Blade Runner is, one, just the power of amazing images. Uh, yeah. That, mm-hmm. that, that really is the thing I, I take away. That I think sometimes um, we, we're so inundated with stimuli from films and, and, and just things all around us, we can forget how powerful, beautiful, yeah. imaginative images can be. Mm. And in other words, we have so much quantity, we don't realize that not a lot of it has quality. Yeah. Mm. So that's, mm. that's a big thing to me. Yeah, that's great. Mm. That's yeah, great. I think... Um, I think for me, I don't know. When I when I rewatched it a second time, it was it was really it kind of hit home the fact that you know he wanted this thing called joy and he could never have it. And I think that joy is something that most people today maybe claim they have, but you know whether you're in the rat race and you're just trying to get more, 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 you know, I, I think that I think that pure joy is found. I, you know, personally for me and I know for you guys and what I believe and in, in, mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. God, but I, I feel like, like pure true joy is something that a lot of people don't have. And mm. I think it's a huge thing that makes us who we are mm-hmm. as, you know, human beings. So I don't know. The second time I watched it, that really just was like, wow, that's, mm. you know, I don't think that's, uh, I don't think that's random. And that's, I think that's pretty key. Yeah. Also a movie for me automatically gets, major bonus points when they kill the main character and so spoilers <laughs> but it, when when the final shot or the final scene there, yeah. yeah it's like when he died i was like you can't even make a sequel okay. to this. <laughs> this is you know it's like it's yeah. gladiator you know uh-huh. that's it's one of my favorite movies because it's like it's so epic he gave yeah. everything he did he saved the day but it cost him everything so you like tragedies huh i yeah there, there's, <laughs> there's some good stories to be told there yeah, yeah, yeah. no that's good and for me i guess the moral of, of blade runner 2049 um was the irreplaceable gift of of parenthood yeah of you know Having at the end of future, at the end of your life yeah, yeah of saying there's something to go after me and and I've I've re- and in in just in having a child I have reached the highest miracle that yeah. was the at the very beginning of the movie he says you've never seen a miracle yeah yeah the guy he's about to kill and what is that miracle it's, yeah and it's in the film it's about replicants you know a replicant that couldn't supposedly couldn't have a baby did but that's every baby, right? Yeah. Every every and that's birth. The point, I would that say that's too. the point. That's of, what Villeneuve of, wanted. To yeah, say. and that's and that, and I'll say, um, I give him great credit for the line of, "I've never killed something that was born before." Yeah, you know. Yeah, and and I extend that and say, and it, well, it's it's that, and it's also the morality because that becomes he comes to realize like it's it's connected the morality of that and the morality of killing. 
the sort of syndicate people or the syndicate, the uh, replicant people, um, because what do we have today? People killing unborn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the weight of killing something with a soul. That, and that, that to me was one of the most poignant points of the film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, because even a robot, he's a genetically engineered robot that looks like a human, but he says, yeah. he, even he knows that to kill a soul yeah. Yeah. is different. Right. Right. And that, and that is a powerful thing. It really is. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. This has been our. This has been a yeah. I would recommend anyone with uh, an asterisk. Yeah, it, you know, if you're an older yeah. audience, definitely watch this movie. It's uh, viewer discretion is advised. Yeah, but it's, it's it's a deep. It's a it'll get you thinking. Mm-hmm. But it's yeah. also visually, it's just enjoy it. It's long, so mm-hmm. yeah. But it's good yeah, piece it's, of filmmaking though. Very mm-hmm. very well done. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, thanks for listening. Subscribe to the podcast. Tell your friends. Loved ones and enemies, as and we enemies. say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, check out the upcoming episode out every week. Signing off. The Moral of the Story with Alex Wolliver, Luke Taylor, and Benjamin Wolliver. Please subscribe to The Moral of the Story on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen. Visit moralofthestorypodcast.com. Copyright 2019 Moral of the Story Media.